countdown has started. We're going to start worship in just under two minutes. So if you can find yourself a seat, we're glad you're here. I want to welcome those joining us online. We've got our streaming back, uh, and so we're welcoming you again to our worship time this morning. We'll begin our worship in just about a minute. We'll see you then. church let's go ahead and stand as we begin worship this morning oh god you are my god and i will ever praise you oh god you are my god and i will ever praise you i will seek you in the morning and i will learn to walk in your ways and step by step you'll lead me and i will follow you all of my days oh god you are my god and i will ever praise you oh god you are my god and i will ever praise you and i will seek you in the morning and i will learn to walk in your ways and step by step you'll lead me and i will follow you all of my days and i will follow you all of my days and i will follow you all of my days and step by step you'll lead me and i will follow you all of my days you may be want to welcome you again to uh, our sojourn in the gym part two we're hoping to keep it under four parts of being in the gym uh, but that's all due to a uh, timing of how air conditioner units arrive from houston and get installed but we thank you for your uh, patience and your flexibility as we come in here to worship and we are thankful that we have a place to do that so we're very thankful for that and we still have a lot of our stuff that works out, though. If you go to westernhills.church, you can still connect with us there. If you're new here, you can click that and connect with us as well. It also has the resources tied to uh, what's happening in our worship time this morning, plus things throughout the week. So I encourage you to use that as well to stay connected this morning. If you came in and didn't see it, but 
We've got communion available. There's at the tables there in the back, as well as an offering box at each spot as well, if you want to use those. Uh, but we will have our communion time together this morning, and so you'll want one of these communion elements. A few weeks ago, we did a special collection, and this church went above and beyond. We had a target of $4,500 to help Denville Willie replace vehicle, and you got uh, 87000 uh, 8,700 plus. There he is with this new vehicle. Um, we are very excited for that. I noticed the problem though, the, the steering wheel is on the wrong side. So I'm not sure what it's going to take to fix that, but we'll let you know. Uh, but Denville is very thankful and this is an incredible tool as he ministers in Cape Town and way beyond uh, with the gospel. So thank you for making that happen. This morning as we begin, I want to begin with some time of, of prayer as we realize what's going on in the world and uh, the things that are happening in the Middle East, and we wanted to lift that up as well as uh, some needs here at the church. Uh, our own Heather Baca uh, lost a friend that took her own life this week, and that's, that's been a struggle. And uh, we want to lift up uh, the Montgomery's as uh, They've got Roy moving into uh, hospice as well. So if you would, join me with prayer. Father, we acknowledge this morning that you are Lord and that you are sovereign over all. Yet, Father, we struggle as the world seems to come apart at the seams. So, Father, we pray for wisdom. Father, we pray for peace. We pray that your will will rise up in the hearts of all men and that resolution can come. And Father, we lift up Heather, we lift up the Montgomerys and pray for your peace and your comfort at this time. And Father, we pray that through all of these things, your name be glorified. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's just think about that as we continue into our time of worship this morning. So these are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the Still we are the voice in the desert, crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes, 
Riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, oh, at the trumpet call. So lift your voice to year of jubilee, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes. And these are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant, David rebuilding a temple of praise. And those are the days of the harvest. The fields are as wide in your word. And we are the laborers in your vineyard, declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, he comes. Riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, oh, at the trumpet call. So lift your voice, it's a year of jubilee, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, oh, at the trumpet call. So lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes. And out of Zion's hill salvation comes. Let us worship the Father, worship the Father, worship the Father of glory. And let us worship the Father, worship the Father, worship the Father of love. And we will glorify. We will glorify the Lord, and we will glorify, we will glorify the Lord. So lift your hands to the Father, hands to the Father, hands to the Father of glory. Lift your hands to the Father, hands to the Father, hands to the Father of love. And we will glorify, we will glorify the Lord. And we will glorify, we will glorify the Lord. As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, this is a very generous church, a church that is always ready to make ministry happen. And to do that on an annual basis, we have a stewardship process that we take part in every year. And really simple process, uh, at least it is in my head, but I want to try to help explain that to you today and get you some information in your hands uh, because it is time for us to start planning for 2024 and let you know a little bit about that process. But real simple, it comes in two parts. The first part of our process is we ask you to prayerfully consider your giving for 2024. This is a spiritual matter, we believe. And so we want you to be spending some time in prayer considering what your part will be here at Western Hills in 2024. And then we ask you to complete a stewardship card, either a digital one, I'll show you how to get to that in a minute, or a paper one, and let us know what your intent is. Now, we, we don't keep those, we just total those up. And so the next phase of that is 
when we get all those cards together, we collect them, and then we uh, distribute, we take that number, and we get them totaled together. That becomes our guiding budget for the next year. We don't spend what we don't have. And so we adjust ministry plans based on that number. I've got some students right now, they're handing out uh, some paper information about that that you can uh, be reading a little bit later on of what this process means. But it's very simple, really. It's ask you to pray, put your intent down, and let us know. And we use that as the tool to plan. Because we do not want to make a guess. We don't want to make budgets that don't match reality. We want to match reality. And this process has blessed us over the past, I believe, 10 plus years now. And it has always worked well. It keeps us in line with our desire to be a church that is not in debt, but is living and spending what we have, not what we don't have. So I want to encourage you to uh, participate in that. This is how you participate. You can text 2024 to that number right there, and it'll send you a link to our digital card. If you're really good with your QR code, you can scan it. That QR code is also on the information being distributed as well. And then following worship time this morning, it says in the foyer, we do have a foyer. We're still using that, but also back here at the back of the worship center, if you would prefer a paper card, you can get one of those and put those in our offering boxes as well. But again, this, we believe, is a spiritual process. It is for you to uh, pray and set that number and just let us know for planning purposes. So I want to invite Craig Prather, one of our shepherds, to come up and lift this time and this process up in prayer. Craig? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll add on to what Scott said. We, you are a very generous congregation. And the leadership here thanks you that generosity it allows us to do quite a bit of planning so as you prayerfully consider what you're going to give the next year uh, we ask that uh, that you dive deep into prayer that you look at the numbers and give what you can let's pray father we are so thankful for the blessings that you give us. Father, we are thankful that we have an income to share with others. Father, as we prayerfully consider what we will give here at Western Hills, I pray that we will spend some time in prayer with you. Father, I pray that you will put on our hearts a spiritual discipline to give. Father, I pray that the leaders of this congregation will put that money to use. Father, I pray that we will always look to you, that you will always keep us on your mission. Father, I pray that uh, we will remember as a congregation that what we do today can further the mission for tomorrow. And Father, I just uh, again ask your blessing on this congregation. And Father, thank you for all that you give us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We ask you to complete those by August 29th and we'll begin our planning process uh, for 2024. We've got a lot of exciting ministries that we want to be a part of and you are a part of that by your participation. And if you would now, please stand. We're going to continue our time of praise. I stand to praise you, but I fall on my knees. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is so weak. Light the fire in my soul, fan the flame. Make me whole, and Lord, you know just where I've been. So light the fire in my heart again. I feel your arms around me as the power of your healing begins. Your spirit moves right through me. Like a mighty rushing wind, light the fire in my soul and fan the flame, make me whole. And Lord, you know just where I've been, so light the fire in my heart again, so light the fire in my soul. Fan the flame, Lord, make me whole, cause Lord, you know just where I've been, so light the fire in my heart again, so light the fire in my heart again. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there ten thousand years, 
Bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You may be seated. One of the wonderful things we do as a church every Sunday is we gather around what we have as a spiritual table and share in a meal to remember Jesus. Today, Zach Goringer is going to focus our thoughts and lead us in our time of communion. Thoughts this morning uh, as we prepare to take this meal together. I'd like to take a few thoughts from uh, Corinthians. Uh, Paul says something very unique here in his instructions uh, to the church on how to uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. And sometimes I think it gets, it gets overlooked a little bit, so I'd like, to, I'd like to look at it this morning. Paul says in uh, verse 26 of the 11th chapter of Corinthians, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul is telling us here that our collective time here together is a proclamation of Christ's death on the cross. Why is this uh, unique? Why is this important? Well, we know that uh, as believers, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the fact that he went to the cross and bore our sin is the very foundation of everything that we proclaim and believe as Christians. Without the death of Jesus Christ, everything else is, is really meaningless. And so it's unique here that Paul is saying that this time is a proclamation of Christ's death. So I'd like to ask the question here to prepare our hearts and minds. We know what the proclamation is, but I'd like to ask ourselves, who is it a proclamation to? A proclamation typically has an audience that it falls on. And so this morning, just a few thoughts I'd like to offer. I'd like to offer three suggestions of who this time is a proclamation to. The first suggestion I'd like to offer is that it's a proclamation to our very selves as we partake it. We just sang that beautiful song, Amazing Grace. And before that, Light the Fire. And as believers, we do this Sunday in and Sunday out. And sometimes maybe it just becomes a ritual that loses its power. I know it has for me. And so this morning, I'd like to challenge you as we proclaim the Lord's death by partaking this meal. Maybe you've been a believer for many, many years. Maybe remember that point in time when you first were taught Jesus. And you had that fire in your heart and in your soul and that passion for him. Maybe use this time to remember that moment as it's proclaiming the power of what Christ did on the cross. Second suggestion I'd like to offer is that this is a proclamation to the world around us. The Bible tells us that the, the world around us thinks we are fools. And I say, amen. I want to be a fool for Jesus. And so each Lord's Day, as we collectively proclaim the death on the cross and the power that that holds, maybe that's a moment where the world looks at us and says, oh, they're fools, 
and maybe us fools can have a moment to explain to them exactly what it means and exactly the power that it holds. And the third suggestion that I'd like to offer is that this is a collective proclamation right to the gates of hell and to the face of Satan. Satan does not care if you love Jesus. Satan does not care if you pray to God. What Satan cares for, about is does the blood of Jesus cover you? Without the blood of Jesus covering our sins, we are not his children. So this is a collective proclamation right to the face of Satan that says, you cannot have my heart. You cannot have my soul because it belongs to the one who died for me. Let us not take for granted the power of this proclamation. Pray with me. Father, as we uh, take this time, Lord, we remember the gift that you gave to us. Lord, we, we acknowledge today, we proclaim today that we believe in the power of the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. God, we praise you that you left the glory of heaven and you came and you put on flesh so that you can provide a way for us to have a relationship with you. And Lord, we remember and we praise you and thank you for the body of Christ. And as we partake this today, may you have all the honor, the praise, and the glory may be given to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we take this time now to remember the blood sacrifice of Christ. Lord, the blood that was powerful enough, the only blood that could remove our sin and pay uh, for our iniquities. God, we praise you for the blood of Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.
join me as we sing. A common love for each other, a common gift to the Savior, a common bond holding us to the Lord, a common strength when we're weary, a common hope for tomorrow, a common joy in the truth of God's word. A common love for each other, a common gift to the Savior, a common bond holding us to the Lord. A common strength when we're weary, a common hope for tomorrow, a common joy in the truth of God's Word. One of the wonderful things about communion is that it is a common thing amongst Christians around the world. And not only do we participate together here in this room, but we participate around the world. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. May we make that proclamation, as Zach talked about through your life this week. May that proclamation be to you yourself, but especially may it be to the world that doesn't understand, but will see your good deeds and praise God. At this time, we're going to have our kids age three through third grade. We have crew worship available for them. Miss Rachel is back there under the basketball thing, ready to get the kids. Uh, so if you've got kids age three through third grade, use your walking feet. I know we're in a gym, but you can walk and head towards Miss Rachel. Also, you know that we do have nursery available as well for kids up uh, through age two as well. So you can utilize that anytime during the service. And it's going to be upstairs somewhere, upstairs, because we've lost another air conditioning, not stolen, but an air conditioning unit with the repair had to be shut off. So uh, follow that way. Miss Rachel will get you that right that direction if you need to use the nursery this morning. If you would, please stand. Let's continue our praise. Holy Lord, most holy Lord, you alone are worthy of my praise. O holy Lord, most holy Lord, with all of my heart I sing. Great are you, Lord, worthy of praise. Holy and true, great are you, Lord, most holy Lord. Ladies only. Holy Lord, most holy Lord, you alone are worthy of my praise. O holy Lord, 
Lord, most holy Lord, with all of my heart, I sing all my heart, I sing great are you, Lord, worthy of praise, holy and true, great are you, Lord, most holy Lord, men only. Holy Lord, most holy Lord, you alone are worthy of my praise. O holy Lord, most holy Lord, with all of my heart, I sing on my heart, I sing great high, you Lord. Worthy of praise, holy and true, great are you, Lord, most holy Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to call an audible real quick. Oftentimes what I will do is I will pray at the end of a sermon, and I intend to do that today as well with a special prayer. But this morning, my pastor senses are tingling, I guess. And I'm aware of numerous situations in our congregation, many in the room, that it's just a difficult season right now. It's a difficult time right now. And so what I would like to do as we come into our study of God's Word together, I would like to just offer a prayer of blessing and ask for God's Spirit to bring us into this moment and minister to us. And this may be for you. This may be the part of the service that you're supposed to be here for. So if you would, bow with me, please, and allow me to offer that prayer. Heavenly Father... <coughs> I know that there are some that we come today and life is good. Father, I'm also aware today that we come to worship and we're hanging on. And we're in need of your presence and your ministry and your spirit to be at work. And Father, I know that there's far more situations than what I'm aware of, but you're aware of each. So Father, I pray. That as we come into your word today, that you would speak to each of those situations. That your spirit would be changing us, encouraging us, strengthening us, and bringing us in front of you. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. A story is told about a mom that goes to wake her son up for church one Sunday. And she goes to the room and says, time to get up for church. And the son looks at her and says, I am not going. Mom says, why not? Says, I'll give you two reasons why I'm not going. Nobody at that church likes me, and I don't like anybody at that church. Mom says, okay, you're still going. Says, why? I'll give you two reasons. One, you're a 47-year-old man Number two, you're the preacher. 
the joke is funny because it means that being a part of a church is messy, isn't it? Being a part of church is not simply we come together and it's always nice and it's always sweet and it's always just right on the surface. Because if we're going to be church, if we're going to be the body of Christ, that calls us into something different. We are looking in the series of how do we get beyond religion. Well, today, Peter, the one that wrote the letter that we're looking at, he's going to wrestle with this question for us, and he's going to give us some direction on how we move simply beyond religion. Church is more than simply we show up, we go through a set of routines that sometimes get disrupted by air conditioners going out, and then we go home or we go out to eat. It is messy and it's difficult, and we're also wrestling with the question of how do you hang on to a faith in a culture that does not want you to have faith, and it will challenge your faith at every turn. And if we simply have just religion, but we don't have what God is calling us to in church, that's a faith that's not worth hanging on to. And unfortunately, I can demonstrate this with recent data, and I've checked this a couple different ways, and the percentage points may be slightly off, but I'll give you the general picture right now. And this is what has occurred since we all went and shut down with COVID. But here's the problem, and this is specifically about our high school students. 70% of high school students that grow up in church, sometime after graduation, end up leaving church and leaving their faith. They tried to track this over a decade. Now, I understand we're not a decade out yet from, from COVID, but this is the trend that they have noticed is that over a decade's time, only half end up returning. That's a problem. They are leaving church because, they're leaving faith because when they think about their church growing up, and they get a little distance on it, and they start reflecting on it, they start coming to the conclusions that underneath whatever ritual was taking place, the church was unloving, it was hypocritical, and it was irrelevant to their actual struggles and needs. So I'd say again, being a part of church is messy. But Peter, who writes this letter, he is a pastor. And as a pastor, he is wanting his church not just to go through a certain set of habits, but he's wanting them to be transformed. He's wanting them to be reworked into the image of God's Son. And so, one thing that he's already taught us is, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we realized that what Peter is teaching us is that belonging to church matters because the church belongs to Jesus. Being a part of a church actually matters. This is why when somebody says, well, I'm, I'm still good with God, but I'm fed up with God's people. And I'm out of here. Now, I'll confess, there are times, even as a minister, 
I get fed up with God's people, okay? Not you guys. But when we abandon church, the struggle becomes so many, especially these high school students that we're talking about right now, when they abandon the church, they're outside of a community of faith now, and they end up abandoning God in the process. Because they look back at their church and they say, well, if God's people are unloving, judgmental, hypocritical, and irrelevant, that must be who God is too. And so they abandon their faith along with abandon the church. Peter says, but belonging to church matters because the church belongs to Jesus. And so he's going to give us some instructions that follows up on that idea. This is a theme running throughout his letter. And he's going to give us some instructions that follow up on that very idea. And we're going to do something just a little different today because today I've only got four verses for you. We've been looking at full paragraphs and full, you know, half of a chapter at a time. But today it's going to boil down to four verses and they're going to be in chapter 3. If you have your journals or you have your device, I want you to open there to chapter 3, please. And if you're working with your journal or with the device, I'd like to read all the way through this scripture. And I want you, if you, hopefully maybe you've got a pen with you or you can do an electronic highlight on your device. As I read... I just want you to circle or be aware of anything that jumps out at you. And then we're going to come back and we're going to walk through it again. So the first time, just listen and see what jumps out at you and what God would be saying in this. Here's the words of Peter talking to the church that is struggling to hang on to their faith because the culture is stacked against them. Here's what he says. Verse 8. Finally... All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I'll be honest. When I was prepping, this section was not going to be its own section. I was going to tie it to the next one, to the sermon that's coming up for next week. But as I was preparing, I came back and I talked with my fellow staff members about it we came to the realization that there is a lot that he's packing into those four short verses, and I think they matter for us, so we're going to slow down and spend some time with them. Peter is giving these instructions on how the church is supposed to behave in relationship to each other on the inside and to those on the outside. And it matters to Peter... And there's something at stake. 
So what I'd like to do is I'd like to unpack these four verses and then talk about why it matters. So let's just start. 1 Peter 3.8 Finally, all of you have unity of mind, have sympathy, have brotherly love, have a tender heart, and have a humble mind. Now, Sometimes in church, it's really easy to read over a list like that, isn't it? Because in some ways, it seems like a soft list. And quite frankly, it doesn't seem like a list that a fisherman, and that's what Peter did, he was a salty fisherman, and he was a leader, and he was big, and he was bold. That doesn't seem like a list that a guy like Peter should be handing out. And so the temptation is to move past it. But what I want to highlight, first of all, when he's talking to the church... And remember, the church he is writing to, they are under pressure. They are under persecution. Now, we feel that in our world today. They felt it ten times. Because they are losing their jobs because of it. Families are beginning to scorn them because somebody says that, I believe that Jesus is Lord. And that was offensive. Remember, remember that's offensive to everybody. That was offensive to the Jewish faith. Because there is only one God, and you did not add to that God. So that was offensive to the Jewish faith. So if these were Jewish Christians now, they're losing their connection. They're losing their relationships with those that they grew up with, that they went to synagogue with. And if you're not a Jewish person, the word for that's Gentile. If you were a Gentile, you worshipped all kinds of gods. And now you have... You have these group of people that are just really weird because they're coming along saying there's only one God. And so it's actually funny, but everybody else referred to the Christians as atheists because they only had one God. And they were disclaiming all the other gods. And in that mindset, in the Gentile mindset, that just made no sense. And so what Peter doesn't do, he says, hey, as you're a church... I need to give you the things that are going to really hold on to your faith. What he doesn't say, and this is fascinating to me as a churchman, is he doesn't say, you really need to figure out your worship style. You really need to figure out padded seats or not. You really need to figure out how your church is going to get all its doctrine just right. Now, I'm not arguing against those things. There's a place, but he doesn't lead with them. He leads with unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. Let me ask it to you this way, though. If you found a church that exhibited those things 100%, would you care what the worship style looked like? Because we're hungry for that, aren't we? We need something like that. He talks about unity of mind. Unity does not mean uniformity. He is not talking about everybody's got to agree on every single thing. That would not lead to a diverse church that we're praying to be a part of. What he is saying, though, that you cannot be divisive in the middle of that. This is not where you have to line up with every single thing that I say, obviously. I'm just a guy that's trying to 
interpret the scriptures to the best of the ability that God gives me. But we cannot go at each other's throats. We cannot be divisive. This is, this is why if you've been around long enough to hear us bring somebody new in and they take the member promise, part of that promise is to not be divisive. It, it's, part of the promise is not you will agree with everything Scott or the elder says. That's not part of the promise. But the promise that we're making is I will not be divisive as I come to be a part of this church. I will have a unity in our mindset. Talks about sympathy. Don't we live in a world where we could use more sympathy? Where people are hungry for somebody to simply understand and connect with. This is where... Oftentimes the critique of the church is, well, they're just hypocritical and they're judging. How powerful would we know if we had sympathy? It says brotherly love. And this is a love where we're going to reach out to each other. This is where Peter is listening to the words of Jesus and Peter had heard the sermon. In fact, you're going to see a lot of Jesus preaching show up in Peter's writings. Jesus, Peter had heard the sermon where Jesus had said, love your enemies. And if you think about it, Peter had to learn that lesson first because he walked around with 11 other guys. They became known as the apostles, and this was a ragtag, distinct group, okay? And if anybody should have been in each other's throats, it should have been these guys. I would not would have said at the staff meetings that Jesus had because you've got Peter, who's dreaming of the overthrow of Rome, You've got a tax collector, Matthew, that's in cahoots with Rome. You've got zealots in the group that really want to stab the next Roman soldier that they see. This is a mess. This, this, is, not, this is not your strategy for having a successful organization. And yet Peter's saying, the church, it looks like that with brotherly love. Now, I like his next one a whole lot. Tender heart. Now that's the one that I least likely think that a, that a salty fisherman is walking around going, have a tender heart. Just need a tender heart. In fact, no man in here is excited about the tender heart part. Let me help you out with that one just a little bit. This is one, I don't do this a lot with the Greek, but this is one where the Greek helps. The Greek word for that is pronounced splonknon. Okay. It is actually a recent development in history that we started thinking the seat of the emotions are the heart okay previously especially in eastern cultures the seat of the emotion was your gut now and we still have this to some extent you know i just had a gut instinct right just had a feeling in my gut about that well that's where all the emotions you know that's where you get the butterflies you, you know, got butterflies in my stomach. So it's not a foreign concept to us, but when he says tender heart, the word actually translates, you're going to love this, you need to have strong bowels. See, it was so worth coming to church today just for that, wasn't it? <laughs> Peter's saying, you've got to have a strong gut when it comes to this. When you deal with each other, there is a strength that's required in that. 
This is not something soft and light. This is saying you get into the messiness with one another with with sympathy and unity and brotherly love, and it takes a strength to be in that. This is why Peter is not ashamed to say it. And the last one being a humble mind. I've done this role for a while now, and I have yet to see a single relationship, friendship, or a church split because somebody was way too humble. I've never heard anybody gripe about that. Nobody gossips about that. Have you seen Sally? She's just way too humble. Doesn't happen. Nobody splits over that. And Peter is saying, if you want to have a faith that's solid, you need a team around you that exemplifies this. Because what Peter is getting at in all of these, because this is how we relate to each other, he's saying Christianity was always a team effort. It was, you're not designed to go it alone. This is not a solo sport. This is why... It's such a struggle when you come out of a community of faith, the rest of your faith is going to struggle. You were not designed and equipped to go at it alone. This is why we need each other. Peter goes on. Verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Again, this is one of those verses that I'm just tempted to read past really quick. Maybe because it just sounds so familiar. You know, don't repay evil for evil. But if you notice, it's framed out where here, don't do these things, but then there's a single word command on what we should do. It's the word bless. Do not repay evil for evil. Don't revile for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. What Peter is teaching is that this, and this teaching goes both for inside the church and for those outside. Whenever something comes at you that's evil, you don't repay it in kind. This is again, Peter's listening to the sermon that Jesus preached. Jesus preached, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. When someone takes something from you, takes your your cloak, give them your robe as well. This is what Jesus is teaching. This is what Peter is teaching. This is how we're to live. And he sums it up with that single word, call to action, bless. Bless is simply love and serve. Love and serve. Love and serve. And Peter does not put any boundaries on this because Jesus didn't put any boundaries on this. Peter says, Jesus says, whether they're your friends, you go to church with them, or they're the neighbor that drives you crazy, 
they're the boss that seems oppressive. They're the candidate from the other political party. They rooted for the other team yesterday. You bless, you love, and you serve. It is the call of every Christian to bless others, even those that we disagree with. One of the critiques of the church is that we're just all circled up and we're kind of like a country club. And culture is throwing that ass down. And there may be some instances of that, but I tell you what is a better story and what I believe to be true is that the church is here and we are here to serve even those that disagree with us. We don't draw lines based on a difference of ideas. Now, we don't give up the truth. I'm not suggesting that at all, but we never cut off relationship. This is why early on what Peter was teaching us, we can be distinct, but we don't have to be distant in the world because it is our call. That's our response. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. That's what Peter is asking us to do is to minister to those, bless those, even those we disagree with. Last verse. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, I've got to be honest. As a kid, the verse, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, terrified me to death. I had a picture that God was one big eye, and he was looking and scanning to see when I crossed the line, right? Everybody ever see God like that? Like he's a state trooper? You can ask Eric, and when we're driving along, she spots the state troopers about five minutes before I do. And when I spot them, it's like too late. So I've got this bad habit of slamming on my brake all of a sudden. Like that's going to, you know, get, sneak past them. But I think, but somebody's out there watching. Why are they watching? They're watching to get me. And we think that God's doing the same thing. That what God's doing is He's watching, but the reason that He's watching is because He's really waiting for you to mess up. Anybody else ever feel this way? Ever feel like God's watching? He's not rooting you on. He's watching to get back at you when you cross the line. He's watching to discipline you. He's the principal. And He's scary. Right? That is not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Why would this matter to the people that first read the letter? Because they're in a situation where they're being oppressed, and the, the culture is squeezing them from all sides. Some of them are enduring some very real kind of persecutions that's involving jail it's evolving torture it's ramping up remember a guy named nero is ruling the known world at the time and his craziness is only going to get more crazy and harsher on the christians it would be very easy in that moment and perhaps you're in a season of life where you think god's nowhere near what he is saying to them is god sees you 
And the encouragement that he's given is God sees you even when you can't see him. God hears you even when you can't hear him. It is the encouragement that he's given. In this moment of difficulty, what God is saying to you is that I haven't lost sight of you. You may be in one of those seasons right now. The teaching and the encouragement that comes from, from Peter to a group of churches, Christians, that were feeling just like you feel, like God is way too far off. Where's the justice? Where's the righteous? Where's the part that it comes out to be even? Where's the fairness in it all? He's saying, you may not see him right now, but God has yet to lose sight of you. And when you pray, he hears you. The Lord of the universe, the one that spoke it all into existence, when you pray, He hears you. He sees you. He's watching, not to get you back, but because He's got your back. And He's encouraging us with that. Why does all this matter? Because how we carry out being church is our witness to the world. <clears throat> I don't think I have to work very hard to convince you that our world is a hurting and broken place. And our world is marked by fighting and bitterness and rivalry and anything else other than humility and brotherly love. And so how we behave and how we bless the world around us is the most powerful way for us to proclaim the message. It is our witness. Next week, we're going to get into the passage that's the theme verse for it all in 3.15 where it says, Always be ready to give an explanation for the hope that you have in Jesus. And what Peter's saying is, because people are watching, and the life rightly lived out in Jesus will be a contrast to the, to the world. And as people see it, there's going to be a wonder in their mind, what's going on here? Why is it so different with you? What's, what, what am I seeing here? And we've got to exemplify that. The struggle is when we forget to have the sympathy and the, uniformity, the, the unity of mind, the humbleness, when we forget those five different things that he starts off with, what do we end up doing? We end up fighting and looking like the world. Now, I've been here long enough where I realize that some of my stories are repeat stories. But here's my favorite illustration, and this is one I keep coming back to because I think it's such a powerful reminder to us. In October of 91, two surgeons go into an operating room in Massachusetts. A lady who's going to receive the surgery is already under anesthesia and she's on the table and she is prepped for surgery and they are opening her up. Two of the doctors in the room 
doctor named Mohan and the anesthesiologist that was at work, Chan, begin to argue with each other about something that happened outside of the room. Words get exchanged, yelling commences, and finally one doctor slings a surgical sponge at the other doctor. These are grown men with advanced degrees, by the way. In response to being hit by a surgical sponge, they literally go into a brawl in the operating room that ends up with them fighting on the floor with the lady on the table, still unconscious. At some point, they finally get it back together and complete the surgery. But what that tells me as we look at the church is the church, we cannot afford to fight while the world lays dying on the table in front of us. Too much is at stake. And as the church comes into here, if they come into our midst and they see us fighting, not being humble, not having sympathy, not ex expressing brotherly love. You know what their thought is? <laughs> My life's crazy enough, I don't need to add that. Right? Recently, you know, the, a very precious family here, Scott and Emma Patrick. And Scott's in the military, and they have um, precious, uh, a string of precious daughters, and their last child was a son. And just a beautiful, incredible family. And Scott's been deployed to somewhere else. And right before the move, Scott shared with one of our classes the story of he and Emma coming here. And then later, I got to be privileged as he brought that story and shared that same story in with our elders and just wanted to reflect with them on what this church had meant to them. And Scott, if you know Scott, he's a tough, tough guy. Like, like he would go to the survival training and eat, like, raw snake, you know. Um, I think he jumped out of airplanes without parachutes. I mean, he's just a tough, tough dude. So he's sharing the story about when they first came here, and he starts to tear up, actually. Because he said when they first arrived, the first Sunday they were here, they were at the end of their rope. They were at the end of their hope. And he said, we walked in here, and we tried other churches, and we'd been other places, and we were just one, one day from giving up. And we walked in here just to give it a chance. And we started meeting people. And one of the couples they met was Sandy and Cindy Dethridge. And Sandy and Cindy, from their time and their experience being also in the military, there was a connection. There was a sense there. So they took them out to eat. And they started to get to know them. And they fell in love with this church through that relationship. They committed themselves to our youth ministry. They shared and poured into our students and, and continued to pray and served in so many different, different ways. But what touched me was the reminder that they walked in on that very first Sunday and they said, this, we were going to give it one shot. 
And it reminded me that every single Sunday, and you need to know this, every single Sunday, somebody is here giving Jesus perhaps the very first chance they ever gave him. And somebody else is here giving the church and Jesus one last chance till they call it quits. That's what's at stake. That's why it matters every single Sunday. And I'll be the first to admit, I know we don't always get this right. But my prayer is that we have the radar up that says, this is not all about me. This is not all about just us in here. But something's at stake, and somebody here needs to see sympathy and brotherly love and a tender heart and humbleness. We just sent my two kids, Cutter and Cooper, off to college. And so now that makes all three of my kids are now out of the house. And for the first time, all three kids get to go to a church where Dad's not the preacher. That's a pretty good thing, I would imagine. (laughs) My prayer for them, as they left was that in that great moment where they get to go somewhere and just be them, is that they would walk into a church on a Sunday morning and they're going to connect with somebody who says, we want you here. Come grow with us. I don't care about the worship style. I don't care about the color of the carpet. I don't care whether they got screens or not. But I do care whether it's a church that has a unity of a mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts, and humbleness, and where Jesus is Lord of it all. That's what we get to be every single week. This is why belonging to church matters, because it belongs to Jesus. So what I would like to do, we're going to sing our song in just a second, Living Hope, which is comes from the scriptures of Peter, this idea that Jesus is our living hope. But I would like to pray a prayer of you. I told you I was going to do this at the end. I'd like to pray a special prayer of you, and this isn't my prayer. This is a prayer that's been recited throughout people of faith for many years, and it was first penned by a man named Francis of Assisi. And if you remember him, he was the one that famously said, preach the gospel wherever you go, use words if necessary. But this is his prayer for peace. And I think this is an appropriate prayer for us today. So if you would, stand with me, please. I'll pray this, and then Cameron's going to lead us in our singing a song. And I pray that you would receive this prayer, and then you would sing out in response to it. If you would, pray with me, please. Lord, make each of us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, let us pardon. Where there is doubt, bring faith. Where there is despair, be hope. Where there is darkness, shine light. Where there is sadness, replace it with joy. Jesus, grant, grant that we may not so much as seek to be consoled as we do to console to be understood 
as we seek to understand. To love, to be loved as we to, to express love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Cameron. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name unto the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever, and Jesus Christ, my living hope. And hallelujah, praise the one who set me free, and hallelujah, Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain, and there's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And hallelujah, praise the one who sets me free. And hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. And Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Because Jesus, yours is the victory. And hallelujah, praise the one who sets me free. And hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain and there's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope and hallelujah. Praise the one who sets me free and hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain and there's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And God, you are my living hope. Oh, it's wonderful to proclaim that he's our living hope. Uh, as you leave here today, I remind you, if you uh, didn't get that information about our stewardship process, it's available in the back as well as uh, cards to pick up. And also let you know, if you have any questions about that, feel free to talk to me or one of our elders, and they can talk to you more about it. A few changes this morning. Our baby class is going to be in the upstairs sensory room. So if you've got uh, kids that are up to that age too, that's where they will be in our children's ministry area. And the legacy class will be meeting in here. And the midlife class, or the in the middle class, we're going to go over to Black Rifle Coffee. We'll see you there in just a few minutes. Let's together close in reading the grace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day.